Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 12. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, Healthy people do not need a doctor. Sick people do. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 10. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin, or are greedy, or cheat people, or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, yet indulges in sexual sin, or is greedy, or worship idols, or this abusive, or is a drunkard, or cheats people. Do not even eat with such people. You may be seated. Thank you, Ashley. Good morning, Hope City. How are we doing? You look good. Thank you for being here. What an exciting day for our church. We've had a lot of exciting days recently, but what an exciting day for our church. Uh, we've had multiple services for years, um, but in this new location, now going to two services. And as you can see, even though this is an amazing crowd, uh, it did what it was supposed to do to create space for us to continue to reach people. So thank you for being here at the 930. I, I guess we call this the early service, but I mean, 930, it ain't you know, that early, but it's earlier. Uh, and so um, I've been trying to talk to staff into like an 8 a.m. for a while, but that, you know, when that's not on the, nobody likes that idea yet, but um, a little sunrise service. I don't know. You know, we'll see. But um, thanks for being here. We're continuing this series today called The Jesus Way, um, where what we're doing is we're looking at seven stories that give us a clue or some insight into what's important to Jesus. Now, of course, there's more than seven things that are important to Jesus, uh, but we just, we're picking seven, and, uh, and this leads us to Easter, where obviously we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus together, but we're doing this because we want to be more like Jesus. That's why we're talking about this and looking at these stories that, that if something is important to him, we want it to be important to us. If it's the way that he would do it, we want it to be the way that we do it. And so that's why we're, we're talking about the ways of Jesus. And today's scripture reminds us about the power of a meal. Jesus loved eating meals with people. Over and over again, he, he loved doing this. So it would be safe to say that if we want to be more like Jesus, then we need to eat good. Anybody say amen to that? I mean, come on, he was, he's the bread of life. I love that description. Some carbs, right? And so like, like we could say that if we want to be more like Jesus, we need to eat more um, and we need to eat good. But obviously that's not the point of the message today. Um, it's something more specific than that. Today, we're talking specifically about eating with sinners. Eating with sinners. If you want to be more like Jesus, then you have to eat uh, with, with sinners. And in one sense, this isn't very hard at all because every time you sit down to eat, you're eating with a sinner. Uh, you, you're eating with you. And, uh, and so that's, that's not challenging. But in our story today, we, we see that, that Jesus was having dinner with tax collectors and other, what the Bible uses, the, the New Living uses this phrase, disreputable sinners. 
And it's talking about a very specific kind of person. This, this word tax collector and then going with it disreputable is, is intentional. It's a, it's, a, it's a kind of person. And right before this, Jesus had called Matthew to be his disciple. And so Matthew is hosting a dinner with his friends. And, and Matthew would only have shady friends because Matthew was a tax collector. And the only person who would eat dinner with a tax collector would be another tax collector or someone who does worse things than a tax collector. No one would eat dinner with a tax collector except shady people. And this is where, this is where Jesus is. And when the Bible says tax collector, it's not talking about like an IRS agent. Uh, it's not talking about a government worker in the way that we think about it. Uh, for the Jewish people, tax collectors were the lowest of low because they had no moral compass. They betrayed their people. They sold out their family in order to become rich. And so for the Jewish people who are you know, following Jesus and paying attention to Jesus, these are the lowest of the low. These are non-practicing, non-believing people with no moral compass. This is why the the Pharisees, the religious leaders, used the sentence that we read today. Why is Jesus eating with such scum, is what, they, is what they said. This is how they feel about these people. And here's Jesus right in the middle of them. He's right there in the middle of them. And he wasn't just in the middle of them. He wasn't, you know, uh, 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 clenching his fists and like holding his nose because this is what God wanted him to do. And he, he wanted to do what God wanted him to do. So he was there, but he was like hoping it didn't drag on too long. No, Jesus was there and he enjoyed being around these people and they really enjoyed being around him. The disreputable sinners, the scum as, as the people would call them, loved being around Jesus. One of the phrases that they used to describe Jesus was that he was a friend of sinners. And again, they don't just mean sinners in the general sense of we're all sinners. They mean it in the way of the people that the rest of society and religious people had written off. He was a friend to them. And, and, and they liked him. They liked him. He was fun to hang around. He was a great dinner guest, Jesus. He told great stories. He really listened to people. He really had a way of connecting with people that conveyed how much he really did care about them. And this tells us something. It reminds us something about the Christian faith. That from the beginning, the Christian faith has spread because of relationships. This is the way that it has gone. And different from other, uh, other religions, you're not born a Christian. And yeah, you can be born into, you know, uh, a Christian, born to Christian parents. But that doesn't make you a Christian. From the beginning, people have decided to become Christians. You could use that phrase, decided. They have, they have made the choice to put their faith in Jesus. And this happened because in some supernatural way, the Holy Spirit opens their hearts to believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior that they need. It's incredibly supernatural. It is something the Holy Spirit does in the heart of a person. And while there are exceptions 
and it's the Holy Spirit that's doing it, almost always the way that someone comes to the conclusion through the Holy Spirit that they need a relationship with Jesus Christ is through a relationship with a person who already has faith in Jesus Christ. It's through a relationship. Can Jesus, you know, speak to someone's heart? Can the Holy Spirit get a hold of someone's, you know, heart in the bathroom of a bar at 3 a.m. with no, having no idea who Jesus is and never meeting a Christian before? Of course, of course the Holy Spirit can do that. He can do whatever he wants. Are there people in tribal villages in Africa who have never heard the gospel and don't know about Jesus and don't know any Christians and the Holy Spirit gets a hold of their heart? Of course, of course, of course. Those are the exceptions. Almost always the way someone, the Holy Spirit, convinces someone or or moves someone to put their faith in Jesus Christ is through a relationship with someone who already has faith in Jesus Christ. It's by knowing a Christian. And if I were to ask you today, how did you become a Christian, and you were to tell me your story, it wouldn't take you very long to give me a name, the name of a person. And yeah, it was the Holy Spirit moving your heart and you can look back and you can connect the dots of the heartaches and the trials and the pains that you went through and how God was moving the pieces. Yes, all those things are true, but you would give me a name. You'd tell me about a person. You'd tell me about a teacher you had or a parent you had or a coach. You'd tell me about a friend that you had or someone that you got to know that you didn't know and you tell me about a conversation or you tell me about something in their life that you saw that you didn't see in other people's lives. You tell me about a way that they prayed for you or some advice that they gave you. You would tell me about how they possessed this peace internally when you didn't have that peace and there was something about that. You would tell me about their marriage or the way that they raised their kids or the way that they managed their money, the way they kept their wits about them. You would tell me something about this person that even if in the moment you weren't even aware of what was happening to you and your heart, there was a person that the Holy Spirit, that God was using to open your heart to faith in Jesus Christ. And this also means that there are countless people who if they were to get close enough to you, would probably be inclined to put their faith in Jesus Christ. Because that's how it happened for you a person, a relationship. And so I wonder this morning, how does that make you feel? When I say to you that if, if, if people were able to get close enough to you, that they would maybe be more inclined to put their faith in Jesus Christ, how does that make you feel? Does it, does it make you feel like you're wearing a turtleneck and you're having trouble swallowing right now? You're having trouble breathing a little bit? Does it make you feel scared? I think for most of us, it at least intimidates us, intimidates me, and I'm a pastor. You know, all the things that I was ever taught to, 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 to be a pastor and to lead a church, no one ever taught me how to uh, be comfortable outside of the church. I can stand up here and talk to y'all all day long, but then somebody I don't know across from a table, it's like I start feeling all those emotions maybe that you feel too, and I'm a pastor, There's not some set-apart thing that makes it easier for me than it is for you. And so when I say when somebody, you know, if somebody was getting close enough to you, they would be more inclined to follow Jesus, there's probably this sense for you of real intimidation or fear. You think about all the things you know about you that you don't want other people to know. 
You think about how unqualified you are. You think about all the questions that you may be asked that you don't know the answers to. That's actually one of the things people ask me more than anything else. Is like, well, what do I say if they ask this? I mean, we're just worried they're going to ask these questions we just don't have answers to. It comes up. And, and for sure, if God was depending on our stellar behavior and intelligence to save the world, Christianity would be in trouble. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But he's not. And if you think for a moment about the people who influenced you towards faith, is it because they had all the answers? No. Is it because they never lost their temper? Probably not. It's because they cared about you. It's because they took an interest in you. It's because at the least they treated you with dignity. Right? And this was what Jesus was doing at dinner. He was taking an interest in them on their turf, in their home. This is what he was doing. And the point of this story is not that we should get like three bullet points on how to witness or evangelize. And that's not what I'm going to do today. It may be disappointing for you. I was actually talking about my sermon last night to Andrea and I got done and she's like, well, are you going to give me like three things I could do? And I was like, no, I don't have them. Sorry. She's like, oh. It's the, the point of the story is not, hey, a, B, C, one, two, three, do this, say this. Here's, here's, here's kind of a transition word. Use this in the sentence, then you'll get them here. And then you're able to drop this on them. No, that's not the point of the story. It's really something way more challenging than that. Jesus was making the point to the religious leaders that, that the people that they think are unreachable are not unreachable. That's the point of what we read. That, that these religious leaders had drawn lines in the sand and their self-righteousness and their fear caused them to write people off. These were the scum. These were the disreputable. I mean, there are people who are struggling, but then there are these people. And here is Jesus sitting right in the middle of them. Jesus was sitting at the dinner table he was the guest of honor. And he was making the point to all of us religious people that no one is too far gone, that no one is too lost, that no one is beyond saving. And this is a great opportunity for all of us in the room who are Christians to think for a moment about who we have, whether we've ever said it out loud or not, who we have categorized in our head as a lost cause. No chance. Waste of time. They would never be interested. No way possible. Jesus sitting at this dinner table with Matthew and his friends is a challenge to you and me and to the religious leaders then and those of us in the room, us religious people, that he's there because everyone is worth it. No one is too far gone. No one is too lost. But you'll never reach them if you won't eat with them. You'll never reach them if you won't eat with them because people find faith through relationships. It's how you found it. It's how I found it. And it's how they 
will find it. People find faith through relationships. And the religious leaders could not believe that Jesus, who claimed to be the Messiah, would have a meal with them. They were certain that by being there, that Jesus would become unclean. And we can't even totally understand all that they would feel about this because of all the dietary laws, the Jewish dietary laws and restrictions in the Old Testament. We can't even begin to understand. But there was this major pressure that, that by being there, by not only being around them, but by eating with them, that, that Jesus, who claimed to be the Messiah, would become unclean. And this would be an easy place to really pick on the religious leaders and talk about how judgmental they were and how Jesus never drew lines in the sand and, 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 shame on them. But they do kind of have a point, a little bit. I mean, I think every parent in the room would agree that we believe what we tell our kids, that who you hang out with does in a great degree determine who you become. Hey, here's what I know about you. When you're picking a babysitter, you're a little bit judgmental. When your friends come home, or when your kids come home from school and tell you about who their friends are, or who they're thinking about dating, here's what I know about you. You know that that's an important decision because relationships do influence your life. At some level, it's true that the people you spend your time with determine who you become and that if you spend time with people with no morals, it will eventually influence you negatively. Even 1 Corinthians says bad company corrupts good character. So, so in, in a little bit of a way, the religious leaders have a point here. Like Jesus needs to be careful because they could influence him. But it leads us to the second scripture that we read. I don't know if you were paying attention when Ashley was reading it to us, but as she read these two scriptures, it seemed as if she was reading two scriptures that directly go against each other, which are my favorite kind. Anytime you find passages in the Bible that seem to directly contradict each other, there is some beautiful truth that the Bible's trying to teach you. And this scripture in 1 Corinthians Five that we read, Paul, not Jesus, but Paul seems to be saying something completely different than Jesus. And Paul is specifically addressing a situation where there's a man in the church who's having an affair with his mother-in-law. And Paul says very clearly, very directly, don't be around him. Don't talk to him. Don't even, this is what Paul says, have a meal with him. So which is it? Eat with sinners or don't eat with sinners? Hang out with them or beware of them. And the answer is both. And it's really important that we understand the difference. So I want to try to explain it to you. Let's try to understand it together. Okay? In the same way that the Christian faith is almost always found because of a relationship. If you ever talk to someone who was a Christian but is no longer a Christian, overwhelmingly it won't take them long either to tell you about a person. They'll tell you about a relationship. They'll tell you about someone they looked up to that let them down. They'll talk about someone who in some way or another influenced them towards abandoning their faith, either covertly or overtly. It was a, a pastor or a church leader or a parent or a coworker or someone who harmed them. The same way that people find faith in Jesus through the power of a relationship is also the same way people lose faith in Jesus. And so we can see how powerful relationships are to the faith. We could say this way, um, we could see the power of proximity 
And so we might assume that if, if we have a fellow Christian who's doing something as immoral as having an affair with his mother-in-law, then we should be more like Jesus and we should spend more time with them and we should try to help them provide accountability and boundaries. But Paul says, no, don't do it. Here's what I want you to do. Get as far away from them as possible. And here's why, Paul would say, because they are dangerous to your faith. They're dangerous to your faith. I don't know if you're feeling that tension inside of you right now, but I hope so, because there is this real tension in what we're reading today where Jesus says, find me the lowest of the low, the most disreputable scum, put me right in the middle of them. And then the apostle Paul says, that dude in your church who's doing that stuff, you get as far away as you can. Don't, you, don't even go to Qdoba with them. Stay away. And there's a startling truth in these two scriptures that goes against every religious assumption in our bones. And the longer you've been raised in church, the more this is going to feel so funny when I say it. Are you ready? There it goes. According to these two scriptures we're reading, it's more dangerous for you to hang out with people who don't take their faith seriously than people who have none. Let me say it again. When we put these scriptures together and other scriptures we could use, the Bible is teaching us that it is far more dangerous for you and to your faith for you to hang out with people who don't take faith seriously than people who have none. And as you read through the New Testament, here's what you find. The way to save lost people is to build relationships with them. And the way to save Christians who are compromising is to end relationships with them. Like I said, the longer you've been raised in church, the more disorienting this is. Because we're told the exact opposite. Because we care, because we love. Don't let them get too far away. Didn't Jesus say, leave the 99 and go after the one? He did. Talking about the lost. Jesus and Matthew talking about the sick. So all throughout the Gospels in the New Testament, we see this really backwards idea. If you want to save People who don't have faith in Jesus get as close to them as possible. If you want to save a Christian who's not taking their faith seriously, get as far away from them as possible. And it just sits so oddly with us. Now, of course, listen, there's so much nuance, and we don't have time to break down every single thing Paul was saying. Let me tell you what he's not saying, just for the sake of clarity and time. Paul is not saying, stop talking to your friend who's struggling Paul was not saying give up people who, you know, give up on people who need your help. Paul was not saying Christians have to be perfect. Everybody take a deep breath. None of us would have any friends if that was the case. He is specifically talking about people who claim to be Christians but are living their life in direct opposition to the Christian beliefs and are not bothered by it. Are not bothered by it. That's your Christian friend who's cheating on their spouse but feels comfortable telling you about how excited they are about it. It's your Christian friend who's doing drugs but wants to argue about how God doesn't care. It's your Christian friend who makes money unethically or your boyfriend who keeps sleeping with you and isn't bothered by it. Paul's saying these are people that are claiming to be Christians but do not want to live according to Christian beliefs or orthodoxy, and they're not bothered about it. They're not struggling. They're not convicted. They're not needing help. They are claiming to be Christians but have no interest in actually living like a Christian. And and, and so here again we see this 
this, this, this weird truth that sits so oddly with us, that unbelievers are not a threat to your faith, but non-serious Christians are because of the power of relationships and proximity. And so we think we need to stay close, stay in their life. If they need someone, we should be there. But the Bible teaches us the opposite. That what a, what a non-serious Christian needs to see are people who take their faith so seriously that they're willing to let go of the relationship. That's what's most convincing, not our patience. And so if we want to be more like Jesus, I think we could take away today that we need to stop spending so much time with Christians who aren't serious about their faith and start spending more time with people who have none. Does that make sense? I hope you hear my heart in this. My heart in this is that we would look at our calendars and we would look at our schedules and we would look at our lives and we would say, where in my comfort zone of relationships am I potentially threatening my faith by being close to people who claim Christianity in name but not in practice? And where could potentially the Holy Spirit use me if I decided to be more intentional with my time to be around people who have no faith at all? It's the Jesus way. It's mills with sinners. It's being a missionary in the teacher's lounge. It's being a missionary in the break room or on the bleachers at the game. And so what I'm asking you to do is I'm asking you to focus on one person. I'm asking you to focus on one family. We're not gonna use the spray and pray mentality. It's not quantity over quality. We're gonna think about one person. We're gonna think about one family. And here's what I'm asking you to do. Begin to pray for them by name. Pray for their marriage. Pray for their children. Pray for them in school. Pray for their job. And then here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at your calendar and I want you to view your calendar missionally. And I want you to look at the calendar and I want you to see how you could offer some days to God, some dinners to God, some lunches to God, some coffees to God, and say to God, God, I'm giving you, I'm laying these down, I'm giving you these dates, I'm giving you these opportunities so that you could put me at a table with someone who has no faith in you. And then I'm gonna ask you to do the hardest part. You ready? You're praying for them by name. You're being intentional with your calendar. And then I want you to make the invite. Set it up. Cook the dinner. Door dash it if you need to. Get around the table. And can I tell you what's not going to happen? They're not going to start crying on the first time and be like, I need Jesus, help me, lead me in the sinner's prayer. Probably not. Could happen, but probably not. Matter of fact, you may not even talk about anything spiritual. You're just going to get to know one another. You're going to get to convey that you care. You're going to get to treat people with dignity. Right? Don't worry about what to say. Don't worry about all the things you're already worrying about because right now you're, a lot of you, you're already worrying about it. Right now you're thinking about like the, the, the silverware and the china, pl- china, the plates that you have. 
You're thinking about what, what would you cook for dinner? What is a good dinner for something like this? You don't want to be too much. You don't want to be too little. What night would be best? You're thinking about your sports schedule. Listen, don't worry about all the things that you're already worrying about. Just be yourself. Treat them with respect and dignity. And here's what's going to happen, and I can promise you this. I guarantee, take it to the bank. Your faith will never feel more alive than the two hours you're sitting at that dinner table. Your faith will never feel more alive and your heart will never beat as fast and you will never be as nervous as those two hours that you know you are sitting at that table on purpose, on mission. You are a missionary to your kitchen table, to the lunchroom, to the break room. And so consider this, what would happen if every person or every family in this church took the rest of this year and just specifically, spiritually targeted one person or one family that we knew did not have faith in Jesus? Maybe they did, maybe they fell away, maybe they've never had. Not necessarily somebody who attends another church that's right in our comfort zone, but really praying and believing for someone who does not have a faith in Jesus. And we just offer our calendars and our kitchen table in the Jesus way. We offer it up to God and we just say, God, meals with sinners. Mills with those that even right now, like when I'm making a list of people that it could be, there's like the people at the very bottom that it's like that would never happen. Well, and we go to the bottom. Cross the line in the sand and see what the Holy Spirit could do. All right? Now, in just a moment, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to take communion and pray together. But when you came in, you were given an Easter invite card. And this may be too soon. You may not be able to make the Easter invite, you know, uh, that, that's a couple of weeks away. But this is also another easy way for you. And we just want to make it as easy for you as possible. And so we gave you one of these. We'll have more next week. You can have more next week if you want. We only have enough for everybody to get one today. But next week we'll get you some. But maybe you've already been doing this. Maybe there's already been some relationships that you've invested in. Maybe there's already been, um, you know, some bridges built. And you say, I just want to make an invite. No sneaky agenda, just being up front. I just want—I would love to invite you to my church for Easter. And, and they would be able to come with you. And who knows what God might do. But even if Easter doesn't work, we just say, hey, for the next year, for the next several months, I just, God, I know how you reached me. And so, God, would you use me the same way you use somebody else to reach a person who needs to put their faith in you? In just a moment, we're going to take communion. I'm going to pray for us. And as we take that communion today and you take the bread and you dip it in the juice, I just, we remember today, this is why we do this, this Lord's table. We remember today that Jesus came and died for our sins. But he didn't just die for our sins. He didn't just die because we needed a Savior. But he also died for other people that we maybe don't think would ever be interested in him we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit that no one is too far gone. So maybe as you're dipping that bread today or dipping it in the juice and you take communion today, maybe you would just say a prayer for the person that needs to know about his body and his blood the way that you found out. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, God, that um, 
you sent your son to make a way when I was unable to make a way, would never be able to make a way. You sent your son Jesus to make a way for me to be forgiven, but not just forgiven, but God, to have a relationship with you, to experience life loved and led by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, God, I pray for every single person in this room right now who is um, thinking. Names are coming to mind. Faces are coming to mind. God, I pray that today we would leave on purpose. We would have an agenda. We would, we would, we would go and we would see our lives through a new lens of mission. We don't have to go to Africa or China. We can just go to our kitchen table. We can go to our neighborhood, our lunchroom, our break room. God, put a passion in us. We'll trust you for the outcomes. We'll trust you for all the inner workings and all the scheduling. We'll trust you in all of that, that you're working it all out. But God, would you use us in some way at a table with someone who needs to find faith in you? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.